If you would, take your Bible and open to the book of Haggai. Now, if you need to use the table of contents, feel no shame uh, to find the book of Haggai. If you want a secret, it's probably to go to Matthew at the very beginning of the New Testament and then just barely turn left, turn back just a little bit, and you'll find Haggai. It's easy to miss because it's only a couple of pages. And I think before this last week, I couldn't have told you much about Haggai, but I believe that the Lord has a word for us this morning from Haggai as we think about moving forward. God, what do we need to focus on as a church family? If you're here and this may be your only Sunday at Emmaus, I want you to know that this sermon is not about a building campaign. This sermon is not about a pavilion on a back property. This sermon is about the work of God in your life. And so I pray that from Haggai, from this book that we don't look at very much, that God would speak to your heart, that you would go home with a phrase, you'd go home with a thought that that would guide you this week. When we get to the end of the sermon, we are going to take the Lord's Supper together as our time of response to hearing God's word. So we think about next steps for our church family. This morning, there seemed nothing more important than we take the Lord's Supper together. And so, if you're a guest of ours and you're a follower of Jesus, we invite you to be a part of that this morning as we take the Lord's Supper together and remember what what he's done for us. And then after the Lord's Supper, we'll be dismissed at that time. But if you're here this morning and you need someone to pray with you, pray with you about what God's doing in your life spiritually, pray with you about something going on in your family, I want you to know we stay down here at the front. People might be exiting, but your opportunity to come for prayer is just beginning. We want you to come for prayer. We want you to pray with your friends. We want you to know, we want to tell you about how to become a Christian. Whatever it is God's doing in your life, we want to be able to be a part of that. And so after we take the Lord's Supper, we're going to have that opportunity together. As a church family, over the coming weeks, we're going to begin looking at the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in the Bible. But before we got to Ezra and Nehemiah, it seemed like we needed some type of bridge week because for a long time we studied through the book of Daniel. And when you think about the history of the Bible, Daniel runs from about 605 B.C. up to about 539 when the Persians come in and defeat the Babylonians and you have a changing of guard, a changing of power in that part of the world. And then following the time of Daniel, the people who were sent into exile, the people who lived in Israel and the Holy Land and the Babylonians took them away, they begin to return. And so the books of Ezra and Nehemiah in your Old Testament that we're going to study for the next several weeks are about that return. That return begins in about 539. The people begin to slowly make their way back there. And one of their first jobs when they get back is to begin to rebuild the temple. And you're going to see that in the Bible this morning. They begin to rebuild the temple But they chase squirrels like crazy (laughs) at this time. They can't finish the work. They'll start the work, and something will come up. They'll start the work, and somebody will say bad things about them, and they'll get distracted, and they just can't continue the work. And so there's about a 15-year gap that no work is done on the temple. And then God sends prophets like Haggai and Zechariah to say, hey, guys, you got a job. Get to work. And then Ezra and Nehemiah come along later and kind of finish off the job and push the people ahead. Look in your Bible, Haggai chapter 1, starting in verse 1. In the second year of Darius the king, so Darius is king of the Persians, 
He's coming in, filling this, this key role, this governmental role. In the second year of Darius the king, in the sixth month, on the first day of the month, the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Now, in our Bibles, it is pretty rare that we're able to tie down a particular date so closely to something you find in Scripture. But here, we can go so precise that this event that's happening in your Bible is happening August the 29th, 520 B.C. It's crazy how precise we can be because of the way that the Persian calendar system worked, and we can put these things together. August the 29th, 520 B.C., the people are struggling. They're not doing what God has called them to do. They need a fresh start. They need to get this temple built, and they're off doing other things. And God is so gracious, he does what? He sends a word to them by a prophet. There are times in our lives that we need a kick in the pants to get going. <laughs> we know we're not going the right direction. We know God has called us to do something more. We know we haven't been connected to church in the way we should be. And God is gracious to send a word to us from his word. How does Haggai give this word? It says that the word comes by the hand of Haggai, and it's given to Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, who's governor of Judah, and to Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest. So think about the prophet Haggai. Imagine Haggai in your mind, however you want. I don't know. Old Testament prophet. Get it in your mind. There's Haggai. <laughs> Haggai has a word from the Lord that these people need at this moment, and he sends it first to the leaders. There's a leader, Zerubbabel, who's in charge of kind of the political side of things, the, the government side of things, and then there is the high priest who's in charge of the religious things, and he sends it to these leaders so that they can give it to the people. Verse 2. Thus says the Lord of hosts, here comes that word of the Lord. These people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. A fair warning, when God refers to you as these people, that's not a good sign. Uh, he's saying, I don't know who these people are. Like, I thought they were my people that I brought back here to do this work, but these people over here, uh, it's when you go out in public with your kids, and like, I have no idea who those kids are. Like, those kids over there, I don't know who they belong to, but those kids over there are doing the wrong thing. God says, these people, these ones that I have rescued out of captivity, I have brought them back from Babylon, these people say the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Ultimate procrastinators right here. The people in your life who, who procrastinate, they have one job. Like, just do your job. You have one job to rebuild the temple, and they keep getting distracted with everything else. Now, when you see the phrase, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord, let's have a quick heart-to-heart -heart conversation. This sermon is not me using this text against us as a church saying, oh, I can see what Owen's doing here. He's using these verses because we need to move ahead with this project, and he's going to use these against us. That's a total misunderstanding of what these verses are saying. In these verses, when it talks about rebuilding the house of the Lord, remember, it's talking about rebuilding the temple. Let's do a little bit of temple biblical theology because this is so, 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 so important to the Christian life. When you think about the temple, remember, we are thinking about the presence and glory of God being displayed to his people. 
The temple is the meeting of heaven and earth. The temple is where God displays his presence and glory to the world. In your Bible, Genesis 1 and 2, with the creation of all things, that is a temple story. You may not think of it that way, but when you read Genesis 1 and 2, you are reading a temple story because God is creating the world where he will dwell with his people. He is creating this area where he will come to them, and Adam and Eve will serve like priests in the world, displaying the presence and the glory of God, and they have perfect communion with God. What happens when they sin? Well, you have that really sad verse in Genesis 3, 8, where you find that Adam and Eve, after they sin, what are they doing? They are hiding from the presence of God. And ultimately, they are sent out of the garden. They are separated from this intimate connection with the presence of God. And so what God does is he leads his people to first establish something called the tabernacle, which was this tent, this, this movable structure, and then they built the actual temple there in Jerusalem, and that is to be a symbol of God's presence and glory, his connection with the world. But what happens when Jesus comes? How does Jesus describe himself? He describes himself as the temple that you're gonna bury this body and it's gonna come back to life in three days, that his body, his coming was the temple. How do we know that? Because in Matthew chapter one, verse 23, we find out that the, bir- the virgin was going to conceive and give birth to a child, and what were they gonna name that child? Emmanuel. What does the word Emmanuel mean in scripture? God with us. Do you see how cool that is? The work of God in creation to be with his people that was then broken by sin, Jesus is God with us. He is that temple. He is that reconnection of heaven and earth. He is making possible for the people of God to live in the presence and glory of God. And then what do we find out when Jesus leaves? He sends the Holy Spirit who will indwell the people of God, the church. What is one way that the New Testament refers to the church? That's the temple. That we become places where the presence of God, the glory of God, goes out into the world. And then you get to the book of Revelation, and you find that when God creates the new heaven and the new earth, the new creation, do you know what is not there? There's no temple. Because God is dwelling perfectly with his people, that they are in his presence. So this verse is not about a 2021 building campaign. This verse is about the need that every one of us has to live in the presence of God. Our greatest need as a church and your greatest need as a person is to experience the presence of God in your life. What we need to go in ahead is to understand what keeps us away from the presence of God and how we can live in that. Now look at verse three. Verse three, what are these people saying? Like what's holding them back? Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. Is it a time for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled houses while this house lies in ruins? Uh-oh. <laughs> so here's the issue. Like now we, now we found out what the problem is, right? They're not working on the temple because they're working on their own houses. Instead of giving attention to God's presence and God's glory and what he has called them to do, They're making their houses look nice. Their house has a roof and all the great decorations. God's house is lying in ruins. It has not been completed. 
middle of verse 4. Actually, into verse 5. Into verse 5. Now, therefore, thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Like, hey, pay attention to how you're living. You have sown much and harvested little. You eat, but you never have enough. You drink, but you never have your fill. You clothe yourselves, but no one is warm. And he who earns wages does so to put them into a bag with holes. And if you underline stuff in your Bible, maybe underline the end of verse 6. That verse should get our attention in a big way. Have you ever felt like this in life? Like you go to work, you're trying to pay the bills, you're trying to get ahead, and it's like you have holes in your pocket, you have holes in your phone, you know, somehow money is falling out somewhere. Like something is not adding up. You work and you work and you work and you try to get ahead, and you're not getting ahead. It feels like you live and everything is just slipping through your fingers. And God is telling the people here, the reason you feel like that is because your priorities are out of whack. You are trying to find personal security instead of seeking my presence. You want to make sure your house is in order and you have neglected my presence in your life. You're trying to accumulate treasure on earth and I'm telling you to lay up treasure in heaven. Your priorities are out of whack. That's the reason this is happening. Verse 7. Thus says the Lord of hosts, consider your ways. Pay attention to what you're doing. Go up to the hills and bring wood and build the house that I may take pleasure in it and that I may be glorified, says the Lord. Man, what a beautiful phrase. What does God want his people to do here? He wants them to live in such a way that brings glory to him. In life, are we living in such a way that we focus on ourselves or are we living in such a way that we want people to look to God? Do we want people to look and see how great our house is, what we've accumulated in, our, in life, or do we want people to focus on God? Not to us, O oh God. Not to us be the glory, but to your name be the glory. Or think about Matthew chapter 6. Seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness and all these other things will be added unto you. Are we living for the glory of God or for our own glory? Look at the next verse. You looked for much, and behold, it came to little. And when you brought it home, I blew it away. Why, declares the Lord of hosts, because of my house that lies in ruins while each of you busies himself with his own house. Therefore, the heavens above have withheld the dew, and the earth has withheld its produce. And I have called for a drought on the land and the hills, on the grain, the new wine, the oil, on what the ground brings forth, on man and beast, on all their labors. These are the covenant curses coming out on the people, that they're living apart from God's way, and so they're not experiencing the blessing of God. And then in verse 12, there's a pivot. Like, what do the people do when they hear the word of God? What do they do when they find out, oh man, I've been living for myself and not for the Lord? What, what's the pivot that happens in, in verse 12? Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, Joshua, the son of Jehozadak, the high priest, with all the remnant of the people. Now this is a cool contrast back with verse 3. <laughs> so earlier God said, those people over there, these people, what are they doing? What are they called now? They are called the remnant. This is a rich biblical word, friends. When you see the remnant, these are the people who are not okay with the way things are. They are discontent with a life that is not lived for the glory of God. That they're driven by repentance and holiness 
and prayer and a desire to bring glory to God. And it may not happen with everyone all at one time, but there is a group of people that looks around and says, I will not go forward if God's presence is not with me. We need God's presence. We are driven to repentance and prayer and holiness. And God, bring glory to your name and not to us. It's so small and subtle, but it's so beautiful how the people are described first in a very negative way. But here, they're called the remnant, the people of God. What are they doing here? Middle of verse 12, what are they doing? Nothing fancy. (laughs) They obeyed the voice of the Lord their God. That's a good start. The words of Haggai the prophet, as the Lord their God had sent him, and the people feared the Lord. What does a remnant do? They respond to God's word out of worship and reverence for him. All they want to do is hear the word of God and respond. Like, God, I need your presence. I want to live for your glory. Show me what that looks like so I can respond. And we find out in verses 14 and 15 that when they respond in this way, God stirs up their hearts. You can give your kids advice until you're blue in the face and sometimes they won't listen to you and then person X comes in and says the same thing you've been saying all along and then all of a sudden person X is the most brilliant, wise person they've ever heard of and you're like, I've been saying the same thing all this time and now you listen to this person. They hear these words and they begin to respond and their hearts are stirred up. Here's the beautiful thing about the way church works. As a person... I can't stir your heart up to do anything particular to bring glory to God. It has to be you responding to the word of God. If you're convinced by my word, somebody else is going to come by and convince you of something else. But if as the people of God, our hearts are stirred up by his word, that changes everything. Because now we want to hear from him. Now we want to respond to his direction in our lives. What happens when they respond. Look at verse 13, highlight it, underline it, cut it out of your Bible and paste it up somewhere. This is our verse. This is the verse to take us forward, okay? Verse 13. Then Haggai, the messenger of the Lord, spoke to the people with the Lord's message. What does the Lord say back to them? He says, I am with you, declares the Lord. The Bible is so incredible when it comes alive in in, in these ways. What were they supposed to be building? The temple. What does the temple symbolize? It symbolizes the presence and glory of God, which they had neglected because they were too busy chasing squirrels and building their own house. When they turn to the Lord and hear his voice and respond, what does he say to them? He says, I am with you, which is the very temple promise. I am with you is the phrase that goes over the temple. It's God's presence with his people. It's Genesis 1 and 2, God dwelling with his people. It's Joshua chapter 1, where we find out, be strong and courageous. Don't be afraid. Why? Because I'm with you. It's Joseph, who was in prison in Egypt. And you know what God said to him in Genesis 39? I am with you. It's Psalm 23, verse 4. Even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. Why? you're with me God's presence Isaiah chapter 43 even though you pass through the waters I am with you 
Matthew chapter one, Jesus comes as Emmanuel. He will be with us. You know what happens when you get to the end of the book of Matthew? Chapter 28, Jesus gives the great commission, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing, teaching them. Behold, I am with you always to the very end of the age. Jesus sends the power of the Holy Spirit, the Holy Spirit who will be with us, that we are with one another as the church, and then everything points to Revelation 21.3, the new creation coming, and we find out, behold, the dwelling of God will be with his people. He will be their God. They will be his people. He will be with them. The story of Scripture is God's presence with his people, which means more than anything else this morning, more than anything else this morning, what you need and I need and we need together is the presence of God. There's a story in Exodus chapter 33 when Moses is going to take the people from Mount Sinai and lead them forward. And Moses gets in a little bit of an argument with God in Exodus 33 about this process. And Moses says, if your presence doesn't go with us, we're not going to go. And we can say that this morning. We can make every plan in the world. I could throw every possible idea up on the screen. We could come up with plans for buildings for days. Friends, if the presence of God is not with us, let's not go. Our only hope is that God's presence would do what only he could do, that he would transform people, that he would guide us as a church, that we would live for his glory and not our own glory. The question is, what does that look like? What does it look like to live in the presence of God, to live this out as a church family? Here's what we're going to do as a church together. We've been going through a 40 days of prayer initiative to lead us up to today. We've printed new booklets that are available for you out in the lobby. If you're a guest of ours, please take one of these. We want you to have one. We tried to print enough. We may have come up short. If you've been receiving my daily email, this is the same thing. It's going to come to you tomorrow morning just like you've been receiving. So if you prefer email and you could save a booklet for somebody else, you're going to get the same material. We've put together 21 days of experiencing the presence of God. That as a church family, we for 21 days would say we're going to do nothing except seek the presence of God together. We have scriptures in here for you. We have devotions in here for you. We have ways that you in your own life can seek after the presence of God. You might be here this morning and say it's been a long time since I've done a Bible devotion. It's been a long time since I've experienced the presence of God in my life. Let's start today. Let's start today with saying what we need, the secret going forward, is the presence of God. That he would be with us and that we would know what it is to be aware of his presence every moment of every day. I would ask you to make that commitment as we go forward. God, I want to know your presence. I want to live in your presence. Not only because of what it will change in my own life, because what it will do to people around me as well. Think of what it looks like. Think of what it looks like for friends to go to this back property and to walk that new track and to pray together and experience the presence of God. Think about what it looks like for a family who hasn't got together in a long time to host a party at that pavilion back there and to laugh together 
and share stories and cook out and experience the presence of God? Think about what it's like for a teenager to get up the courage to invite one of their friends to come to church, and that kid walks in, not to a wall, but to a big room where they can be received and experience the presence of God and know how good he is. Think of what it is for a dad who wants his kid to win at baseball to show up at this backfield for practice, and he meets Jesus, and it changes his family forever. Think of what it is when God's presence pervades a church so much that all that they want is for him to receive the glory in everything that happens, that God would do that work among us, the work that only he can do. And so right now, the only appropriate way for us to respond is to remember what Jesus has done for us and to experience his love and his presence and his salvation as we think about taking the Lord's Supper together, knowing that taking the Lord's Supper doesn't bring salvation, but it is a powerful reminder of what he has done. I'm gonna pray for us. And as I pray for us, there are gonna be people that are gonna go to these tables and prepare to serve you. After the prayer, you're gonna be able to go to one of these tables and take the elements. If you'll just go back to your seat and wait, we'll take these elements together, sing a chorus, and you'll be dismissed. But use this time to think about God's presence in your life. Let me pray for us. Ask those people to go to those tables so we'll be ready to take the Lord's Supper together. Father, we know that uh, the Bible, your word, is, is incredible. Uh, to have a book like Haggai that before this last week, I wouldn't have been able to tell the church much of anything about. Uh, but we begin to study scripture and see the way the pieces fit together from beginning to end. And what we find is the Bible is about your desire to be present with your people so we can live in your presence, so we can worship you, so we can glorify you. And God, we get distracted. <laughs> we take care of our own homes and we forget about experiencing your presence. We chase things that aren't important. And God, what we want to say this morning is the most important thing in our life is experiencing your presence. And God, thank you for Jesus. He's the only one who makes that fully possible. He defeated sin and death so that we can live before you as your people. God, make this time of worship of the Lord's Supper so meaningful for us today. And fathers, you send us out. We know your presence goes with us and we wanna share that with others. In Jesus' name, amen.